What is up, everybody? Adrian M. Gibson here. What you're about to hear is the audio version of a live author panel recorded at TBRCon 2023. TBRCon is an all-virtual sci-fi, fantasy, and horror convention that I directed and organized and was founded by David Walters of Fanfy Addict. And this year, we had the pleasure of hosting 30 author panels, which were absolutely amazing, and I highly recommend checking them out. But since so many of you listen to podcasts and prefer that over watching things on YouTube, I have published this live author panel here on the SFF Addicts podcast feed. I'll be releasing a new author panel every Friday until they run out. So until then, sit back and enjoy this week's TBRCon 2023 author panel. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. I'm Dan Fitzgerald, a moderator for the TBR Con 2023 panel on pantsing, plotting, and approaches to writing. I'm absolutely thrilled to get a chance to speak with Miles Cameron, Brian Nasland, Chelsea Abdullah, Richard Swan, and J.S. Dewis. Uh, I'm here to take here, excited to hear your takes on some classic questions about writing process and hopefully some new ones. Let me start by introducing the panelists. Uh, first, we have uh, Miles Cameron, author of Killer of Men. Um, and as I say your name, just quickly, one word answer, plotter or pantser? Both. Go. Uh, Brian, great. We have, uh, it's cheating, but okay, we're going to count it. Uh, Brian Naslin, uh, author of uh, Blood of an Exile, uh, plotter or pantser? I'm a bad plotter. It fits in the spirit of the thing. I'm going to allow it. Um, <laughs> J.S. Dewis, uh, author of The Last Watch, first in the Divide series. Uh, plotter or Pantser? Uh, pantser at heart. That's three. Okay, <laughs> there are no rules. Right? We're, we're all rule Blake. There's one rule. <laughs> it was one right, word. Epic fantasy <laughs> uh, Richard Swan, author of Justice of Kings. Uh, plotter or Pantser? Plotter. All right, and Chelsea Abdullah. I see. Okay. Yeah, see? <laughs> Chelsea Abdullah, author of <laughs> uh, author of the Stardust Thief, uh, plotter or pantser? Pantser. <laughs> I knew that because of what you posted on Twitter, <laughs> 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 which I won't spoil for everybody, but it was pretty hilarious. Um, <laughs> I feel your pain. Uh, well, obviously, one word is never enough. Uh, so I'm going to give you guys a chance for some nuance. How do you approach writing a book? Uh, do you plan everything out? Do you discover it as you go? Or perhaps a secret third thing? Uh, let's start with Jenny for this one. Well, it's a complicated question because how I would like to approach a book is to just do a, maybe do a little world building, but then just kind of dive right in, write, see what happens, go from there. It's how I wrote The Last Watch, and it worked out great. And then after that, Publishers want to see synopses before they buy your books, <laughs> so it gets a little more complicated. Um, so I have both pantsed and written from an outline, but I much prefer the pantser method. I've struggled a lot more when I um, have an outline. I feel like I've already done the fun thing, so then it's just like work after that point. <laughs> um, so I'm still definitely like early enough in my career that I'm finding that balance and figuring out what works best. And it's different from project to project too, like Rubicon, which is the next book I have coming out in March. Like that one fought me tooth and nail the entire way through. Like I wrote the first maybe like 
quarter of it just pantsed my way through it and then i was like ah oh, crap i'm gonna have to outline this stupid thing <laughs> and then i had to actually like look up how to outline because i hadn't done it before you know i'd written scripts and stuff and like so i have like kind of a natural understanding of story structure and how that works for my time in film but i hadn't ever written a book from an outline so i was like how do people do this so i kind of just went online found all the different ways people do things and made it into a way that kind of works for me so yeah <laughs> just curious raise your hand if you know the pain she was describing there no just me okay yeah. especially like the the finishing an outline and then not wanting to write the book anymore i definitely uh, even if i don't tell anyone even if i just write it for myself i'm like all right well i'm, I'm kind of bored of this now so. yeah. yeah there's this horrible hangover after you write an outline <laughs> uh chelsea what about you give us some nuance on uh your plant pantsing versus plotting uh so so we were talking about being bored writing outlines. Uh, that's why I'm a pantser. <laughs> um, I very much, part of the joy of writing for me is discovering the plot and, you know, discovering the character arcs. Um, also, I can't outline <laughs> uh, before I start writing. Um, so very much a pantser. Um, you know, I like to call it discovery writing. It feels uh, more professional <laughs> sometimes. It sounds more like I know what I'm doing, maybe. Um, so I pretty much, I pants my first draft. And then after that, I use something called reverse outlines, um, which is basically just an outline that you write after you draft. Um, so I do outlining, but I do it after I've already felt out the story, um, after I've given myself that time to play in the world, get to know the characters. Uh, then I go back and, you know, cut my drafts with a reverse outline. Um, you know, it helps me figure out what's extraneous, um, you know, what sorts of things are actually necessary to the story. Um, I kind of like to compare my first drafting method um, to creating a map. Um, there's like a bunch of locations on the maps, a bunch of different paths. But then when I reverse outline and when I edit the story, I'm trying to find the path, you know, that the reader needs to go down, the one that makes the most sense for the story that just gets me, you know, straight to where I need to be. Um, and the first draft is just kind of, you know, me following these characters down all these different paths, seeing, does this work? You know, does it feel right? Um, and it's not really until I reach the end that I kind of know, like, okay, this is, you know, this is the direction that the story needs to go. So I kind of make it more book-shaped afterwards. Wow, that's fascinating. Where did you learn about uh, reverse uh, outlines? I, you know, I've been doing them, I think. I kind of, I started... I started editing my book that way. Um, so my book is The Stardust Thief. Um, I wrote a first draft that was 297,000 words. <laughs> uh, it was way too oh long. I, I knew that immediately. Um, and everything that I've ever written has been that long because I, you know, I just kind of enjoy exploring the world and getting to know the characters. Um, you know, it's very much, it's very much about my investment in the story to begin with. Um, so I, I guess I started outlining afterwards, not really knowing that what I was doing was reverse outlining. Um, and then I think I was about like halfway through the process. I, you know, also started looking online, looking up, researching, you know, how do you outline? How do you do this if you're a pantser? Um, and that term started to come up. I saw it. It was interesting. I saw it a lot with like academic writing. Um, but I hadn't seen it as much with, you know, creative writing. And then I, I think there were a couple blogs here and there that I found that were, you know, really wonderful um, and really great at explaining that method. But for me, I was kind of already, you know, I kind of already had my method of reverse outlining. And then at this point, 
you know, I found a name for it, um, which was really helpful. I could start telling people, you know, this is my process. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'm still, I'm still very much, you know, early in my career. Um, so still, still trying to figure out what works best, um, especially under deadline. Um, but for the time being, I'm, I'm trying to pants as long as I possibly can. Here, here. Uh, that must have been very validating to realize that what you were already doing uh, was something that other people had simultaneously discovered. Uh, Richard, what about you? I should briefly mention uh, before we continue that Richard, Ryan Cahill is saying that he's mostly here to abuse you and Brian during the course oh. of this. Con so keep an eye out in the comments to see if we get any abuse Ryan. there. Yeah. Okay. Hi, Ryan. <laughs> hi, hi, Ryan. I, I knew I'd see you here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've been expecting you. Uh, but anyway. I, yeah, no, I'm the absolute opposite. I, um, I, I, I was writing as a sort of hobby for a very long time, um, since I was about sort of twelve or so. And so, when I was about um, written a couple of sort of novelish type pieces, and then when I got to about the age of seventeen, I started on what would sort of become my first proper novel, and that was a sort of multi POV space opera. And um, I just I planned it all out. I actually used sort of color coding for each character and how those kind of um, you know each each subheading out of like a sort of series of bullet points about what happened in that chapter and it was all color coded and everything and and it was about 140,000 words and that just became my blueprint really for how I approach novel writing ever since it just you know sort of classic three act structure and um you know it always seemed to work out well and so I've never deviated too much from that to be honest with you I um these days I have a fairly complex planning process I tend to um one thing I did for Justice of Kings, which uh, which I've never done before, but was very helpful, was I wanted to kind of feel out the Sovan sort of culture, um, and so I got I sort of found this thing online. It was called the Cultural Iceberg, and it had kind of at the very sort of top, you know, above the waterline, it had um, you know what they eat and their flag and you know what they wear and stuff and all the kind of stuff that you might experience on a holiday. And then below the waterline, it had relationships with like parents how they view the elderly and the young and you know all these kind of cultural kind of touch points and um it was and i just took that document and i kind of really fleshed it out for the sovens i sort of wanted them to be fairly kind of sort of nordic anglo-saxon type quite reserved they find kind of expressions of um you know motion quite sort of vulgar and it's all kind of sort of a bit of prim and proper kind of culture and a bit of like a kind of martial culture as well so kind of quite prussian in that respect and i sort of fleshed it all out and I did all of this and so what I ended up with and I kind of did you know the Haugenate line which was the kind of the royal line going back a few generations and all this kind of stuff and what I had at the end of it was this enormous sandbox um or, you know and so what that did for me personally which I found extremely useful was every time I wanted to add a little bit of verisimilitude within the story like you know because when your characters are kind of doing stuff they don't just sort of say yeah and we went to this building oh and by the way that's the seat of the council of elders and the council of elders is formed of 12 people and all because they obviously all know that already so there's no need for them to kind of explain it so what i did was i found creating that sandbox from the get-go and then kind of planning a story after that it really enabled me to kind of just draw on tiny little kind of bits and pieces which um just add a kind of frisson of you know realism to the story and so when you're reading it the characters will say oh you know that's body blower and sometimes i'll explain it and sometimes i won't and one of the great things about having like an, a mentor apprentice kind of dynamic is you can explain things if you need to it's a bit kind of cheap in some respects but it's a useful storytelling tool um and so yeah and i just kind of get a big word document and i just literally chapter one this is what happens chapter two this is what happens chapter three this is what happens and i think for my sort of plot for empire of the wolf because it's quite 
twisty, turny, posse and lots of revelations and kind of interlocking kind of storylines and people betraying other people and stuff like that. Um, I would get very quickly lost if I didn't have um, a plan to kind of cleave to. And actually, the only time I didn't really have a plan and I was kind of freewheeling on book two, um, I find it extremely difficult. I ended up deleting about 7,000 words or something and kind of just stripping out an entire storyline because it just wasn't working and i was like never again i'm never not i'm never pantsing ever again it doesn't work for me at all um i just grind i just grind to a complete halt and i kind of agree with brian in the sense of sometimes when you've got this really cool idea and you've been knocking it around in your head for a long time and then you kind of just plan it out especially with kind of like fractal granularity it's like well wow that's i've kind of almost got it out of my system but you know sometimes that happens and sometimes it doesn't and sometimes i kind of plan it all out and then i think okay i need to take a bit of a break from that now but then i'll kind of come back to it and i'll get into it and i'll sort of write it and enjoy the process still um and you know it doesn't and it's also not to say that things don't change for me either you know i might get halfway through and i, I you know quite like this character i'm going to make them more important or you know i like this storyline i'm going to see where it goes so it's, it's not utterly rigid um but i do like to have a fairly robust um template in place before i start yeah, excellent. Yeah, I think a lot of people think that outlines uh, never change, but I think almost mm. every outline changes as you write the book. Definitely. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Brian, what about you? Uh, explain a little bit more about your general approach in terms of planning and uh, plotting. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend my process to anyone, um, but I'm stuck with it. Um, so I, I do try to make an outline, but they're always terrible. And or they're very cliche. Like I have a very hard time at this high level thinking of interesting things for everyone to do. And I have trouble tying everything together if I'm staying at this, this high area. It also like, I've never spent more than a day on an outline. I just run out of like, I'm just staring at the page now. Like I can't sort of dig deeper at that level, but I make one and then I abandon it immediately. Um, almost instantly the, the, the outline gets thrown out and yeah, it's very much like an exploratory thing. I kind of, um, it's not so much quantity over quality, but all just, um, you mentioned, um, Richard, you, you know, lost 7,000 words and had to rewrite. Those are, those are rookie numbers. I've burned hundreds of thousands of words <laughs> on, on foolish ideas. Um, and yeah. I, <laughs> it's a very, my process is very wasteful, which is why I wouldn't, wouldn't recommend it to anyone, <laughs> but it, it winds up working, working a little bit better for me. So I, I, um, I'm sort of envious of people who can plot very rigidly and then be happy with their stories, but it's never really, really turned out for me. So yeah, horrible outline that I abandon, and then I just try to, um, um, I don't know, I guess write a lot every day and think about it when I'm not writing, and I'll, I'll keep like a, just a list of ideas, and some are very high level, like, oh, it should end this way, and some are very low level, like, this would be a funny thing for this guy to say. Zero organization. I often don't go back and read them. I keep them in different apps because I'm disorganized and I just open whichever one on my phone came to me first. And so there's whole notes and ideas that just never got anywhere. And then you just like, you know, kill yourself for a year and then you have a book at the end of it. So again, do not recommend it. <laughs> one thing I would say about my process is that at the end of it, my first draft is basically there. Um, yeah. And I don't, I don't edit it as I go along. But like once I finish the book, like, the edits are usually pretty light. Like I don't strip out because you hear, like you said, I, I hear people and they say, "Oh, I wrote three hundred thousand like Chelsea. I wrote three hundred thousand words, and then I kind of have this enormous, unwieldy block of marble, and then I chiseled out two hundred thousand, and now I've got a hundred thousand. <laughs> I never, I have never done that. Seven thousand, yeah, you know, the largest single chunk I've ever excised. From yeah, I've heard of people thing. like you, and uh, <laughs> irritating to hear about. <laughs> I can't, what I can't wrap my head around it. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's a, it's just a refined it, the process has just refined itself over like you know 20 odd years it's um that's all it is you know it wasn't that developed when i first started obviously but um i've been writing for quite a long time obviously, just well hobby. maybe when the maybe when the panel's over we can set up a kind of mentorship program amongst <laughs> the participants you, you know, to for... take you all under my wing. <laughs> this is how you plot a book <laughs> Uh, Miles, what about you? What's your uh, approach to the creation of a book? Well, I'm tempted to say mine is mo- very much like Jen's, uh, but I, I will first embroider and brag and say, so I'm writing my 49th book now. And I would say that I have probably done virtually every system for writing a book, but I'm going to winnow it down to two. I have two major writing experiences. One, um, Artifact Space, my recent science fiction novel, Pretty much came into my head wholly done. It took me 45 days to write. I wrote it down. I never stopped writing. I had about 2,000 words. I ended up excising in one more scene I wrote in, and that was it. On the other hand, <clears throat> I have also written books with extensive, and that book had no plot. I literally never wrote down anything till very late. I sort of did a bit of a reverse where I went, ah, if this is the major plot and my subconscious has told me this all along, I need to fix these three things so that there can be a second book. But I have another completely different experience where I pretty much meticulously write an arc. And the thing I really liked that Jen said up front is if you're writing for a living, they expect you to provide a certain amount of documentation. And it actually took me, I think, 10 years as a writer to realize that they didn't really mean it any more than I did so that I could in effect, hand in an entire story arc, and they'd buy the book, and then I could do almost anything I wanted after that. I've never had a complaint from a publisher that I changed something. Um, And that was extremely liberating, because I realized that uh, when I was writing the Red Knight series, I realized I had a major character who was absolutely not doing what I enjoyed, what I wanted her to do. She had taken off a life of her own. She'd become a completely different character. And um, she was going to die, and I decided she wasn't going to die, that in fact she was going to transition to being sort of one of the protagonists of the series. And Jillian Redfern, in effect, said, oh, that's fine, that's great, I'd have hated if you'd killed her. And that was a huge lesson to me. Um, But what I meant to say in a shorter form is, I have done extensive outlines and mostly written to them, uh, and I have had the whole thing come into my head and just written it out. And um, Chelsea, I have hewn uh, a, a document out of um, a rock of 200,000 words. I have done that. Uh, as a professional writer, and I've made my living at this since 1998, I prefer to get it right in one go. So in a way, I'm agreeing with all of you. I certainly agree with Richard that if you can get to the end with your first draft basically being your final draft, you've saved yourself enough time to move on and write the next book, um, yeah. which, unless one of us becomes Brandon Sanderson or J.K. Rowling's, is a necessary part of making a living at it. Um, I, I just, I find it, uh, I'm, I'm sort of going to deconstruct, I find it a super interesting question every time it's discussed, because I don't think about it. The book either comes to me, or I have to start writing an outline. And sometimes it comes to me, and that's, I don't know, from the gods, and sometimes it doesn't. And I, I'll close by saying I also write historical novels. And historical novels have the remarkable addition that they come with a timeline built. 
And that timeline can actually help instead of hinder. I've had a lot of fantasy writers say, isn't it hard to fit into you know, the web of history? Sometimes it's much easier because you go like, well, these four things happened, and I'm going to hang this novel on these four things. Mm -hmm. So now I'm just sort of writing around that. And a couple of times in fantasy, I have said, let's pretend there's a history. Let's write the history out first. Yeah. Last thing I'm going to say, again, agreeing with Richard, uh, I'm an old role player. I love role playing games. So every time I start a new fantasy world, I basically write about a 30 page game master's guide. And I usually run a campaign in that world so that it's in my head exactly the things that Richard is talking about. So that no character has to say, ah, oh, the Assassin's Guild, you know, that's run from such and such a thing. <laughs> but that it, you get that sort of natural flow because if all the characters know, and I'm just I'm totally backing Richard. If all the characters know it, eventually the reader will know it too, and you never had to hit it with a hammer. Wait, so. you do that on the first draft? That's wild. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, I, I guess what I'm trying to the, <laughs> the, 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 You just said it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, Dan, if you'll let me say one more thing, I just want to address the 50 books. One of the things that drives me nuts is the belief in the, that from the publishing industry that all of us should basically write the, our first book is our best book and they don't think that we're not going to get better and get more practiced and get more experienced that always makes me roll my eyes like just because some guys in the 20s who were mostly white men of privilege with fantastically expensive educations managed to hit a home runs with their first book does not mean the rest of us are going to get there anyway two cents worth <laughs> yes can i circle back to something you said a minute ago <clears throat> you said some books come to you fully formed and they just almost write themselves and others don't um how do the other how does the inspiration for those others come like some books come to you in a water a waterfall but those other ones like how do you get how do you get from you know i think i'm going to write a book and it's going to be about this when it's not a waterfall um Okay, so I'm going to use an actual example, which is the Masters and Mages series, Cold Irons. Um, I found them very hard to write because I was sort of outside my comfort zone. And I'd come up with an idea that I sold, and then I stared at that idea and went, hmm, really, really, that's what we're writing. Um, and, uh, and I actually wrote, with a nod to Chelsea, I actually wrote, I think, four chapters, got pretty deep into it tossed the whole thing and had to start over and that had never happened to me before and so it really and this is like book 29 not book three so it, it really rocked me and i spent uh, a couple of days staring at the screen and going oh no the writer's block people talk about it. i finally found it um, <laughs> so that i don't mean to be long-winded what i've discovered is i always have to find something i love and once i found the thing i love i can always build a book on it yeah and um so it turned out that possibly, I hope Jillian Redburn isn't listening, a little bit far from the outline I had sent in, I discovered that what I really wanted to write was a book about how swordsmanship works. And I wanted to put this in a fantasy setting, but I was going to deliberately use the real world of Italian and Ottoman Turkish swordsmanship. And I was going to build the whole plot around exploring all the smart and not so smart things that swords people do on their way to learning about swords. And I love all that stuff. That's sort of where I live. And I went, oh, well, now that I've discovered Ottoman Turkish swordsmanship, I have a completely non uh, Central European thing to build on. And I, I don't know, the structure after that was much better. 
Does that so make sense? Because well. now that I've said all that, I'm like, hmm. Yeah, I was talking to Adrian uh, last time we went for a drink. Uh, Adrian of Grimdark Magazine, the editor, and uh, he said that all the best books are the ones that uh, where the author has taken something that they know a lot about and transplanted it into a piece of fiction, um, and you just get that kind of incredible sort of verisimilitude to it. Um, and it, well, sorry, not the I mean his favourite books rather than the objective best, but um, so it's interesting that you sort of you found that you unlocked that inspiration from your real world knowledge of Ottoman Turkish sword fighting. I'm sure that all of us have had the experience of having some friend, somebody we really like, say like, how do you do it? How do you write 100,000 words? Mm. Have we all had this experience? And I, I'm afraid my answer is you have to love something to write 100,000 words. Um, to my wife, she reckons writing a novel is pretty straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, yeah, I reckon I could do one. I was like, okay, we'll do it then. <laughs> she was like, how hard can it be? Just write a hundred thousand words story, like just churn it out. I think she's changed her tune. This was a few years ago. I think she's kind of changed her tune about it now. But um, I remember having that discussion. That was an interesting one. <laughs> Miles, that means you've fallen in love 59 times. It's got to be a world record. I'm I'm easy. <laughs> um, let's move on a little bit more to um, to the details of how this uh, planning and executing books evolves with time and experience. Uh, so I want to ask, you can answer it one of two ways. So I want to ask, how has your method of planning and uh, executing your books evolved? And if you have worked with, uh, I assume most people have worked with uh, ed editors and or agents, how has the editor or agents uh, affected your process? Uh, and I want to start with uh, Chelsea on this one. Yeah, so um, I am just working on my second book now with an editor. Um, so this is the first time that I'm working with a publisher, with an editor, um, you know, sort of have a team behind me. And uh, in all honesty, I think I'm still kind of figuring it out, um, which is, you know, I was, I was saying earlier, like I'm trying to pants as long as I possibly can. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I'm learning what that means under deadline now, um, you know, with that, you know, that pressure of wanting to get something polished into your editor, um, wanting to meet deadlines, all of those like external pressures have definitely um, impacted the way I see my world, the way I see my characters. Um, so I, you know, for me, the second book, um, or like, you know, just tapping into this process with the second book has been a lot of trying to get back into that headspace of just me and the book, um, and not really, I mean, thinking about external deadlines, obviously, because, you know, <laughs> because they're important, um, but also trying to like remove myself from that sphere, um, and just, you know, have me in the story on the page. Um, because I, as I was saying before, that's one of the reasons I love pantsing so much um, is because, you know, I get to have that sort of um, discovery element with my story where it's just me and the characters. You know, I, I always like to say, like, it feels like I'm kind of following the characters on their journey in the first draft. Um, and then, you know, in the second draft, it's kind of like, OK, well, you know, we need to make sure that this story actually makes sense now <laughs> and is book shaped. Um, so I'm kind of moving them around, putting them in the right place, kind of nudging them. Um, so I'd say that. You know, with with the with the second book being on deadline, um, what I've been trying to do is figure out how to do that, how to do all of that, how to you know not sacrifice that element of discovery um, while still under deadline. Um, one thing that I've noticed is that 
um, because the drafts that I turn out are a little messier, you know, because I have to get them in faster and because I have that pressure, um, I tend to do, I tend to do more rounds of edits. Um, so when I worked on the Stardust Thief, I did one really robust reverse outline. I did it a couple of times afterwards, but in that initial reverse outline, I cut, I think the draft, so the draft was 297,000 words. I cut it down to 155,000 in that very first draft. So like <laughs> I chopped it in half. Um, but that being said, I also had, you know, I worked on that first draft for a year plus. Um, so I had a way more solid idea in my head of, you know, what the story, what the story shape was going to be. Um, and I kind of knew that going into the reverse outline. This time around, I'm finding that I have to do more of that. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll jump into my second draft. Um, and then I realized, you know, this still doesn't feel right. Um, I don't have as much time to think about the story as I did for my first. So I start the process all over again. Um, so the process itself is moving faster for me in the sense that, you know, I'm, I'm, reaching, I'm reaching the end of the draft faster because I have to. Um, but then the steps, you know, like editorial steps, you know, editing the story, trying to create a new draft of it. That's all coming a lot faster, too. Um, so I think it's for me trying to balance, you know, trying to balance pantsing um, with the deadlines and trying to figure out revising um, sort of with these external pressures now has been, you know, that's where I am right now in my, you know, in my author career. Excellent. We're going to get to the question of pantsing versus plotting author careers later. Um, but let's find out more. Uh, Jenny, tell us a bit about your, um, how your process has changed with time and whether uh, working with agents or editors has changed the process, improved it in any way. Yeah, so I kind of talked about it before as far as like, you know, they kind of want, you know, a synopsis from you. And for me, it's hard for me to be like, oh, here's what happens. I have to basically write the entire book first. So like <laughs> I, what I ended up doing with my so my first book the last watch i had you know i didn't have an agent at the time it was the only the second book i'd ever written so i just wrote it and it existed and then i didn't write the sequel to it until after i was under contract but we had a really long contract because they wanted the books to come out four months apart so we i had a super long time basically to finish it so i wasn't i was on deadline but i wasn't like on deadline so i could kind of like do my same pantsing process with that and i had just been like this stuff happens and then like none of that stuff ended up happening and it was fine like miles said <laughs> like they they don't remember what you pitched to them in the end if the book is good the book is good they get what they get so it doesn't really do they even read it yeah. <laughs> I, i've never heard any evidence that someone actually read my synopsis i was like wait but on paragraph five page two you said this was gonna happen yeah, no. this isn't anywhere in here that's never happened before. not happening at all yeah um so yeah that all ended up being fine as far as like i could kind of pants from that and not feel pressured and then um rubicon i had written before um my sequel actually before i was under contract or even had an agent so that one was just a matter of revising um with my editor so that was a lot easier um and then the book i'm working on now which is the third book in the series um that one has been a problem because <laughs> that's the one where it's like i felt like i had to write a really detailed outline just to like figure out even the most basic plot points so I gave them this very detailed outline. It's like, oh, I did the fun thing. And now I have to like make that into a book. And then they also wanted, I had a five book arc 
um, proposal and they wanted to combine two of the books. Um, so uh, this third mm. book is really the third and fourth book and they're correct as far as the plot and like how it ends up working out. Like it's totally the right call, but it's going to be so long. So it's like, <laughs> I'm trying to like also like make it not the longest book on the planet while I'm like drafting and that's kind of slowing me down a little bit. I'm like, is this scene necessary? Should I just keep writing? Should I back off? Like I'm questioning myself a little more. So I'm like deep in that right now. Like, <laughs> very much like i'm gonna go right after this i was writing before this like i'm gonna do nothing but write for the next two months basically so i'm very much like figuring out like okay like i need to like the next time we go to my editor with like a proposal be like can i just give you like three sentences about this <laughs> instead of like an entire <laughs> synopsis so that i can like actually kind of pants this like the way that works for me and i'm also thinking if i possibly can get ahead of it and just write the next book whether i'm under contract or not and then just hope it sells then i can mm. kind of do my pantsing process as well so i'm kind of yeah. i know like the general advice is like oh don't write a book till it's sold but like i don't know if i can do it unless they're willing to just like trust me which maybe they will after this mm. like maybe once you get enough miles you can probably speak to this if what you get enough under your belt is less of like having to prove yourself to them every time as far as before they buy it i'm not really sure but yeah so i'm i'm deep in the middle of just figuring all of that out and changing it. as far as working with an editor i don't really think that's changed my process much um her and i just work really well together there's it we just vibe she gives me actually very like basic kind of surface level stuff and then i dig into it and figure out the problem and fix it from there so it's really like it just kind of works well and um i haven't really found that that's changed my approach as far as whether i'm pantsing or plotting or outlining or anything like that so and if you get stuck on something or you have a question do you do you like go back and forth with the editor like or are they only under contract for a certain period of time um no i i can i probably should more than i do <laughs> um i'm still in the phase of like oh i can only send her perfect things but it's just not realistic when it comes down to like getting books out in a reasonable time <laughs> um so especially like the beginning of the exiled fleet the second in my series um i struggled a lot with just one chapter in the beginning it was like the second chapter i think and we sent that thing back and forth 20 times i swear the rest of the book was fine i just like tweaked mm. a couple of things like i didn't really even have to do anything it was just this one chapter like the bane of my existence <laughs> and she was very patient with me and like we sent it back and forth and did a bunch of versions and a bunch of things and it and it all worked out so i I'm what happened in that, that chapter um it i mean it's it's in there i don't know if it's good you can read it and see. <laughs> <laughs> it's I, it worked out like i just i thought it was something different than it was and it was my first time writing a, a sequel to a book so i was you know i really struggled a lot with like oh how do you like reintroduce all the stuff and like what's important to tell the reader about and like remind them about mm -hmm. without feeling like you're forcing the plot of the first book down their throat and stuff like that so i just kind of struggled with the beginning with that kind story. of stuff yeah for mm -hmm. sure Thank you. Uh, so, Miles, uh, you've probably worked with quite a few editors and agents over the years. Um, how has working with them uh, affected or maybe it hasn't affected your process in terms of how you approach the planning or lack thereof? If you don't mind, Dan, first I want to ask, answer Jen's question and say Please. what I find remarkably interesting and very frustrating about the publishing industry is that 
literally it comes and goes at times i want to sort of shout into the phone you know i've written 46 books can you can we move on <laughs> and it comes and goes because you know I, I, I swear this is my my view because there's some sort of special intelligence directorate in hachette that people get fired from i never get to meet them and new people come in and they don't know who i am so they start the whole process all yeah. over again and this this is on like a five to eight year cycle I, and, and it can be very frustrating because, you know, 15 minutes ago, somebody said, we'll buy anything you give us. And you're like, oh, this is going to be really fun. And then, oh, well, could could we have a 30 page outline on this? <laughs> <laughs> if you said anything, no takes these back to yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Anyway, <laughs> so, so Jen, I, I really feel it comes and goes and it really tempts you to say things that only villains say, like, do you know who I am? <laughs> um, and and, uh, and there's just no room for ego because today's star is tomorrow's whatever. It just literally comes and goes. Anyway, yeah. uh, I've been very influenced by editors, but I'm going to cheat a little and say my biggest influence was my dad. My dad was a very successful writer. And I wrote my first eight books literally with him. We co-wrote spy novels, and both of us had been intelligence officers. I thought I knew what I, how to write, and I really didn't. And my dad was both a very good writer and a veteran professional cynic with a long experience of agents and a long experience of the publishing industry. And I'll, I'll be honest, almost everything he told me is true. Um, and that saved me a lot of time, a lot of time that when I talk to newer writers, I feel like they all need a mom or dad who is in the industry who can say like, well, that's a nice thing to say, but they didn't mean it when they said it which is one of the best things my dad ever said. But, <laughs> and, and my dad said over and over to me, it's your book. Whatever the editor says, it's your book. And that is super important and, and really true. Okay, so having said those slightly cynical negative things, um, I've had some great editors in both historicals and in fantasy. Um, the only fantasy editor I've actually ever had really in depth is Jillian Redfern. And I love working with Jillian. And I love hearing her input. And I actually, and I'm, I'm stunned to say this, but she's not listening. I kind of look forward to getting her edits because often she saw something I didn't see or she, anyway, it's, it's good and it's detailed and thoughtful. And one of the few places I really disagree with my dad is I believe writing is a team sport. I don't believe I'm a ruggedly independent artist living on my own. So my dad never used beta readers. I have five trusted beta readers, um, and I they, and they run the gamut from I'm a big fan to I hate everything I read because all five of those points of view are very useful, and um, and I trust them too. And if they all say like this scene sucks, I assume it sucks. I don't fight that. Um, I, I really think it's useful to have outside views. So I I mostly trust editors. Um, the people I often have the hardest tangle with are copy editors. Uh, that, <laughs> that's yeah. a whole other. Um, be a panel a in other, and of itself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're all uh, showing like uh, you know examples of pages with notes on them. It's like look at this. Ah, stat, 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 But I, I also wanted to ask Chelsea a question. So can I just cut in? Uh, and, yeah, and say so, Chelsea. When you cut one hundred and forty-five thousand words. Uh, where where are those 145,000 words? Because my dad, who has passed away, has a piece of advice for you, which is never throw anything out. 
something my dad said to me over and over again. If you have 145,000 words you cut, my dad would say, you have another book you can sell. <laughs> uh, no, yes, absolutely. I hold on to all my words. Um, every single draft that I create is in a separate document. Um, so first draft, second draft, third draft, so on, so on, um, is its own document. I, I never cut anything unless it's, you know, an objectively bad sentence <laughs> that I don't like. Sure. Um, I'll get rid of that. But if it's major plot points, chapters, um, I hold on to all of it. Um, because I agree. I think like, you know, even when I was, when I was going back and editing the first book, um, I, there was, there was, there's always one chapter that comes to mind. I rewrote this chapter three different, four or five different times, um, through all three of the POV characters' eyes, because, you know, something was going on with my timeline mm. and I had like, you know, the same character feature over and over again. And I was like, oh, this is, this is wrong. Like, you know, it needs to be through someone else's point of view. Who is the correct person to write this through? And so in the original draft, I had written it through this character's eyes, but I scrapped that version. Um, and I thought, oh, you know, it's not, it's not good. It's, you know, it doesn't feel correct. And then I came back to it on that seventh rewrite or something. And I said, actually, this is the correct character. And so I took some of that content from my very first draft and, you know, polished up the language, changed whatever needed to be changed, you know, depending on the plot. Um, but I still repurposed it. So, mm. yeah, no, I do not get rid of any of the hundreds of thousands of words that I, that I cut. Um, <laughs> and the way I see it, too, I think, like, you know, this is, this is something that I've had to tell myself, especially with sequel writing, um, you know, especially being on under deadline and sort of being frustrated, like, oh my gosh, I'm still writing all these words. Why am I writing all these words? Um, writing all those words is a part of my process. Um, and it gets me to, you know, it gets me over the finish line slower than, you know, what I would like. Um, but it's still necessary. Like, I still need to write all of those extraneous words. They still tell me something about the story. Um, they show me what doesn't work. Um, you know, maybe they'll give me some insight into some very small thing down the road, but they're still necessary for, you know, my own process. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I value those words that I cut, um, even when they're terrible. <laughs> um, I do have, I also have like a document called um, my cut but not dead darlings document um, where I keep, you know, lines and, and scenes that I'm really fond of. Um, and that, you know, didn't quite make the cut for the first draft, but which I think, you know, maybe there might be a way I can fit it into another book, um, or, you know, another scene later down the line. I have a yeah, It's like the like icebox, you know, they're, like they're preserved for later. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's why I love using Scrivener, because then I can kind of, like, keep those lines or scenes in the same chapter that they originated in and find them later a little easier. And then I have a whole Scrivener thing. I, I could not write books without it. <laughs> Do you ever in Scrivener? Because I have yeah, my little icebox graveyard, but I organize it where at the top are the ones that I think I might actually use. And then the further down, like this is useless. Like I'm not going to delete it, but it's like, you know. You'll never use any of them. Somebody. You live no, Ryan, you are the top. I actually go back to him like, no, I remember. Like, this is here. You are my hero. <laughs> that is serious organization. Dan, I just wanted to close my little bit by saying I, I have a rule of thumb for editors because sometimes I have new editors, especially in historicals. I've gone through a bunch of editors, and that is I don't mind anything an editor says as long as they tell me exactly why. And what I'm less tolerant of is when someone says, I don't feel like this goes here. And then I tend to say, like, well, I did feel 
And I find most most good editors, instead of saying I feel like, will go really precisely and say, this character said this, this character said this. This is not really in character. But, oh, yeah, you're a good catch. Yeah, I let that one go. Um, anyway, I just, uh, that is my rule of thumb, especially with the new editor. Tell me exactly why. Yeah. Uh, you you got, just got me thinking, both you and uh, Chelsea, about whether future scholars will have access to our Word documents where they'll be able to see, you know, the comment threads between the editors and the writer and then like your different versions of it. Anyway, probably never, uh, never happened that way. Dan, um, when I was in when I was in university, I dated somebody who spent a lot of time getting her PhD on James Joyce. And I as a writer, I'm sometimes paralyzed with the moment of going like, oh, my God, will graduate students ever look at what I'm doing right now? <laughs> Hubris. <laughs> it's a beautiful thought. Um, Richard, uh, what about you? Has working with an editor or agent uh, affected your process in any way, improved it, or are you a self-made human? Yeah, no, I, I say my, my kind of hit my process quite a few years ago now, and um, I haven't really deviated it from it drastically at all. Um, I've kind of refined it over sort of 10 or 15 years, but it's not changed dramatically. I think um, I'm one of those people who, because I've written so much, um, obviously like, um, Justice of Kings was my debut, but it's by obviously no means the first thing I ever wrote. Um, I actually calculated it. it was about 1.1 or 1.2 million words I'd written before I wrote Justice of Kings. And obviously most of that is just, it's just nothing. It's just words on hard drive somewhere. But um, although I did self-publish a few bits and pieces a couple of years ago. Um, but what I have found now is because I did so much writing, um, I'm kind of at that stage where my narrative voice is very clarified and very defined. And when I start typing and those 95 percent of what i write will survive into the final draft like when you read justice of kings you're apart from a few bits i changed the ending at the, on the advice of my editor and i um added a chapter or one or two chapters or something like that but uh, but really you're reading what is basically the first draft of the book um and uh, same really with with tyranny of faith um so my my process is is you know i write the book and i get it to about 80 percent. so i'm a kind of I don't want to say lazy, but I think because I've got that kind of um, that kind of I've hit my stride with my writing, and um, I know that what I do write is is fairly polished. And I'm trying not to sound arrogant when I say that, but it's it is fairly kind of polished and ready to ready to go straight out of the box. And so working with an editor, I and it's, I did the same thing when I was a lawyer as well. And I obviously had to do a lot of writing when I was a lawyer. I was a litigator, and we did a lot of you know court work and stuff, and we dropped a lot of documents for that. And um, and those documents, I, they'd always be reviewed by your partners of the firm and, and, and senior associates. And so I would always be like, well, they're, they're going to go and get changed in it. So I'll get it to about 80%. I'm not going to put like 100% into the first draft because it's going to get changed anyway. So I get my first draft is about 80%. What I consider 80% is probably still publishable. And um, I send it off to my editor. He, I actually have two editors, one at Orbit UK and one at Orbit US, and they go through it and they send me a letter. And... Um, and it's never, you know, James is my kind of main editor in, in London. And he said, you know, um, it's your book, you know, ultimately, you know, it's your kind of story. I'm, you don't have to take anything I, I say. I recommend that you, now, I'll tell you if I really think you should do something. But, um, you know, generally speaking, these are just broadly suggestions. I think I actually, I probably use, I got a couple of friends who read my stuff and um, 
I kind of I probably go creatively around the houses with them more than I do my editor. I think my editor is my, I have a very good working relationship with James, but it's very much like here's the editorial letter. I go great. I will implement about ninety five percent of those changes because that's what it is for, and I trust them, and they're professionals, so I do all of that work. Uh, it's very rare that I disagree with something. Um, I do that work, I send it back and they're like, super great, thanks, off to the copy editor it goes. And that's kind of been my experience on both books with Orbit so far. It's been very, almost transactional. Um, so I don't really use my editor for these kind of long discussions of the craft and, you know, all this kind of <laughs> stuff, which I'm just like, yeah, great, bam, 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 here it is, and off it goes. And so that works for me, it works for him. And, you know, I'm always submitting three or four months ahead of my deadline. Um, and in fact, I've submitted the third book in Empire of the Wolf in like November and my editor still hasn't looked at it. He's looking at it next month, I think. So I've just had like six months of just nothing for overworking on a few other things. Um, so it, it, no, the, the answer is no, really. It, it hasn't changed my, my process even slightly. And, um, and I, I, I get my, the copy edits I struggle with sometimes. I find my, I think with the copy editors, I, I kind of get the impression that their job is to be like, right, I'm going to just kind of put this document through a filter that's going to make it as grammatically and technically perfect as possible <laughs> um, and kind of just ride roughshod over any kind of narrative voice and kind of little artistic quirks and whatever. I'm just going to, and this is what it should be. And one that always sticks in my mind and, and crawl from Justice of Kings, I think, was there's a, there's a scene when Helena is... Um, she's sick, she vomits, and, and halfway through the book for various reasons. I think she's got a concussion. And... Um, they and she's sick into a bowl, so she's in like a sort of a ward, a sort of medieval ward in a in a apothecary's whatever, and um, and she's sick into this bowl next to the bed. And the line note from the copy editor was, "You need to establish there was a bowl uh, in the room earlier in the scene." And I was like, "I don't fucking need to do that. <laughs> like, I, I I really don't need to do that." And it was that kind of like incredibly finickety granularity kind of comment. And it and I was just like. What, why anyway that's so no i didn't enjoy that process and did you put in the ball or not the ball the ball stayed but i didn't like you know signpost it at the beginning of the chapter a room it's like it's not a script you know hint room a bowl is next to the vet you know it's so it's <laughs> check so, like, ball. yeah it's it's a fair yeah, exactly it's a fairly um it's a fairly frictionless process for me um and, uh, and that's not to say it's not like a creative, pro you know, I feel like it sometimes when I describe my process, it sounds a little sterile, but then it's nothing's further from the truth. You know, it's, it's still a very kind of, you know, creatively rich and enjoyable process. And there's no part of it I, I dislike. Um, but for me, it's, it's just, it's just become this kind of fairly structured approach and, and, and it's what works for me. And it also means like I can write at least two novels a year, you know, on, on, in parallel as well. You know, I, I write two books concurrently, um, I want one sci-fi, one fantasy. I write one in the morning, I write one in the afternoon, and then in six months, I've turned out two books that are 150,000 words, almost ready to go. So, and I've kind of had to train myself to do that over the course of the last year. But I've I've, I've got so many ideas and things I want to write, and publishing is a glacially slow industry. Um, and I'm like, I'm not, I, I'm not waiting for Orbit, you know, fingers crossed, to publish my next trilogy in 2026 or whatever. Like, I, I need. I need more. I have more to say. <laughs> so yeah, but that's kind of where I'm at um, with the process. Fantastic. And what about you, Brian? Um, yeah, I quite like getting feedback from um, from my agent and my editor. I think that um, kind of like Miles said, I see it as as more of a collaboration, which isn't like I'm on the phone with my editor agent every day. Like that's not at all how it is. But I think that 
my favorite thing to do is to just write in a room alone, but I make a lot of mistakes alone in that room. And I think that, you know, my agent is, is kind of a editorially focused agent and my editor is obviously an editor. So they're, they're good at pointing those things out. And I like, um, I like it as, as much as I find my outlines to be completely useless, I find even pretty sparing feedback to be very, very useful and kind of break me out of whatever rut I'm in. Um, and I found that early on, I remember when I was querying agents, I would get rejections, but they would give a little bit of feedback. Like, I really like this, but every character POV sounds the same. So thanks, but no thanks. So I just rewrote every character except for the main. I, all, I like redid all my POVs and I found that to be kind of gratifying in a way. And I think what's, um, so I, I think I've become a much better writer from the feedback I've gotten from my editor and my agent. I think what's changed over time is that I've learn to work smart, not hard with feedback. And I think that there can be a tendency when you get a note that you know undeniably is true, like a character is boring or they just would never do this. And my editor is very good, Kyle Miles, like you were saying, is like, I don't think Prashad would do this because in the first book, which is already published, he did this and those things were kind of in a contradiction. You don't have a good reason for him to be changing his morals. I'm like, you're right, but that means I've got to like, you know, really readjust whole things. But I think what I've learned to do is look at not quite the most efficient ways to do it, but the most interesting way to do it. And then try to like sit and think with feedback for a minute before you just start start yeah. reacting to it. And, and then that was kind of a function of the second book being a nightmare like year for myself. Like the, you know, the, the second book in a trilogy is pretty hard to do. It was my first time under deadline. So by the third book, I think I was much better at um, not it's not quite panicking, but not just jumping to the first idea that jumped into my head when I got good feedback and, and letting it sit for a second and trying to come up with a real plan that was going to touch more things. So, um, yeah, I like it. It's like a weird, like masochistic thing. I love it when people criticize my work and tell me that like a whole plot line has some severe problems. I'm like, fuck yeah, it does. And like, let's, let's get to it. Yeah. What else uh, did you hate? Um, no, seriously. Like the, the fact that anyone reads my stuff at all is still surprising to me. So I almost like, like, editorial criticism more than i like a good review i'm like well that's 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 very nice of you to say but like what did you there must have been something you would have changed yeah. <laughs> um, i mean i feel i feel like as a writer i'm always not dismissive of positive feedback um but i'm kind of like okay yeah thank you this is great um but what always sticks with me is always it's always the criticism <laughs> you know yeah the, the, the difference between a five-star review and a detailed three-star review is you know the three-star reviewer actually read your book exactly exactly yeah. but i think yeah one, one of the things my editor was so good at is you know he'd be giving me kind of margin notes along the way and some of them would be um you know, a, a shift or, you know, pointing out a thing that was a real problem, but then every, you know, 10, 15 page or whatever, like, this is fucking awesome, though. I love this. And he would, like, get an inside joke that I set up, like, you know, two books earlier. He's like, fuck, yeah, this is this is great. And that that's really good, too, you know, when you know someone's yeah, kind that's of following great. along. The famous compliment sandwich that every editor yes. needs to know. <laughs> Shit sandwich. So I uh, know it now. <laughs> Uh, so we've talked a little bit about how your process has changed throughout your career, but I want to uh, extrapolate the idea of uh, panting and plotting to careers. So my question now is, do you do you plan your career as meticulously as you plan your books or do you just kind of, you know, muddle your way through and, and see where it goes and discover what kind of writer you're going to become? Uh, I, I have some thoughts that there will be a parallel, but perhaps those thoughts are incorrect. Uh, I would like to start with Richard, for whom I have uh, 
the strong belief that they would be parallel, but perhaps you could disabuse <laughs> me. I Do you know where I you're going? Yeah, quite. I, I, um, with, I, if I have a, it feels quite presumptuous to say I have a career. Um, I've only got one book out, but the, um, that my kind of plan, yeah, you're right. I do have a plan. And, and I think what I'd like to do at the moment is, um, and I think what my agent would like me, me to do as well is get another trilogy, a fantasy trilogy locked in with Orbit, um, you know, or someone. Um, I think it you know, just to build on the name and the brand a little bit. So there's that aspect of it as well, and that's absolutely fine by me. You know, I love I, fantasy. Is not I'm, I'm a sci-fi person. I I wrote sci-fi for forever. That's all I've ever written. And Justice of Kings was my first fantasy novel. Um, and it was almost like a kind of eh, I've just got this idea. I'm going to write it. And obviously that was the thing that got sort of picked up. And um, so now I'm a fantasy writer. So I've got to kind of lean into that a little bit um, for a couple of years at least. But I, as I alluded to a little bit earlier, I've got. Um, I've got just so many ideas, and and so I think for me at the moment, the 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 life of a career and the author of a career sort of frightens me slightly. And I think um you know I think every author, or certainly a lot of authors, have a shelf life, if you'll excuse the pun. And I think um what I don't want to you know if you only have like ten or fifteen years of like you know good productive work before you know, you sexy twenty one year olds on TikTok sort of come in and hoover up all the NYC spaces. Um, what I'd like to do is almost strike while the iron is hot. And so I, I think diversification is something I'm looking into. So I've got a, a sort of short post-apocalyptic novel, which I've turned into my agent just last week. And um, I'm actually writing a contemporary novel as well, because I've got a, I've got a few ideas which are outside the kind of SFF canon, but um, not, not many, but just a few ideas. I kind of just want to get out there. Um, and so I, I don't want to just kind of nail my colors to the fantasy mast and just bank on having a book out a year with a big five publisher because I think that's a death, you know, that's a death sentence for an author unless, um, you know, you've got other options. I, I, I wouldn't, sorry, it's not a death sentence, but what I mean is it's very risky. You, I don't think you can put all of your eggs in that one basket. Um, so I'm kind of looking to expand and I've got a sci-fi trilogy I'm sort of writing as well, which I'm really kind of happy with. So for me, I've, I've definitely got a plan. The plan is to focus on my fantasy, main, my mainstay fantasy for the next five or six years, but also um, I'm also sort of branching out and hoping that I can kind of lightning strikes with something, some of these other projects as well. Do you have a 20 year plan, 30 year plan? Oh God, no, no, no. <laughs> okay. No, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've got the option for the Justice of King sold and I'm supposed to be seeing some visuals this quarter for TV stuff. So, I mean, if that gets made, I'll be oh, great. I'll buy a house, you know, sort of pay off the rest of my mortgage with that money. And then I'll just kind of be, I'll just chill out for until retirement. But, but unless that, uh, that happens, uh, certainly not. No, uh, no 20 year plan, but I've got about a, I've got a five to 10 year kind of publishing plan for sure. Not the written down anywhere, but kind of in my head. That's solid. Uh, how about you, Chelsea? Are you uh, pantsing your career as well, or do you have a larger plan? Um, you know, I'd like to say that I have um, I have a direction, <laughs> uh, a direction that I'd like to go in. Um, you know, I do not write full time right now, so I don't, you know, have the ability to like, you know, just stay at home and focus entirely on my books. Um, and as of right now, I am a very slow writer. Um, I also like to say that I'm a slow burn thinker as well. So like, I like to sit with my ideas for a very long time. Um, you know, usually I won't start writing something until um, the opening scene comes to me and that can take years. Um, so I kind of have a bunch of different ideas that I'm, you know, playing around with. I call them my back burner ideas. Um, so I have a direction in the sense that I have like five or six different projects that I would like to tackle in the future. Um, but you know, which one I tackle kind of depends on 
you know, probably the market, um, you know, my own inspiration, um, you know, various different elements. Um, so, you know, I, I would like to put all of those things out in the future. Um, I'm not, you know, they haven't been acquired as of yet. I'm still working on my trilogy. Um, I'm also very much, you know, I wish I could be a two person or two person, uh, two project at a time person. Um, as of right now, I'm still one project at a time. It's all I really have time for in the day. Um, and because I'm writing these like big sprawling epic fantasies, it's kind of all I have time in my head for. Um, so, you know, it's, it's either that or designated back burner project while I'm, you know, kind of refreshing my mind while my book is with my editor or something, then I'll think about the other projects. Um, but for the time being, I'm very much focused on the trilogy um, and just kind of playing around with ideas, um, you know, see, see what sticks. Um, if one thing doesn't work out, you know, I've got, I've got a myriad of other things I'm thinking about as well. So direction, uh, but I kind of like to go with the flow. Right on. Well, the start of the thief has touched a lot of readers, so that's uh, your process is obviously working. I wanted to follow up really quickly. Do you see yourself writing, are your back burner projects also epic fantasy or little this and that? Yeah, a little this and that. Um, I've got, you know, and this is actually something I've only realized about myself in retrospect, um, you know, now that I've published, uh, but I've been doing this for years because, you know, The Stardust Thief is my debut, but I've also been writing for a little bit. Um, I like to go back and forth between sprawling epics. And um, so I have, you know, what I would like to work on next would take place. It would, you know, it would be a fantasy, um, but it would be more urban um potentially clock punk is the is the term i'm using for right now i don't know if that actually exists that term what is that um it's, i mean it makes sense though even as you say without any more details i'm like yeah all right, I, can, I can get behind it's that. focused sure, on the clock aesthetic no. um but but yeah no so like i said very loose ideas um but so something that's you know something that's based in one city um i would like for it to be a standalone <laughs> after after working on a trilogy yeah. or, you know, while working on a trilogy um i think it would be re very refreshing to work on something that is its own you know has has a beginning and a conclusive ending <laughs> uh no cliffhangers hopefully uh so yeah so i think you know a little bit of both epics um and more you know smaller fantasies i would love to touch cozy fantasy one day um you know if, if we're using that term i think that's a relatively new term um but you I can love, use clock you know. bunk. I think you can say cozy fantasy. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I think you're on pretty safe ground there. And I think, you know, low stakes fantasy, um, you know, as someone who really loves to focus on the small character interactions, um, that's very appealing to me as an author to focus on something that's more character driven, you know, not so much about saving the world. Um, you know, I would love to tackle that. And uh, I would really, really love to do something meta, something like, you know, extremely... I want to say uncomfortable, uh, but something that, you know, kind of kind of um, makes the reader question things. And I still, you know, I would love to do something like this, but I haven't quite figured out how to do it in book form. Um, I'm a gamer, so I've seen it done in a lot of video games, you know, this sort of mm -hmm. like breaking the fourth wall and like inviting the player to engage in different ways. So I would love to do something like that. Um, but I feel like I haven't I haven't yet had that like galaxy brain moment <laughs> where, where I know how to make that happen so right the, yeah the house of leaves moment if you will yeah yeah definitely thinking about house of leaves i tried to buy uh, that recently i had a devil of time tracking it down is it still in print it's already it's already in your house actually <laughs> <laughs> don't sorry that was it that was an inside book joke uh, easily <laughs> 
So, uh, Brian, what about you? Are you uh, straight up pants in your career, or uh, do you have a long-term plan? No, I guess I am, because I honestly have never given it that much thought in, in nearly as much detail as, um, as what other people have said. Yeah, I'm, I'm very much focused just on um, uh, how much fun it is each morning to be writing the thing that I'm working on. I, I don't actually give it a lot of like structure and direction beyond that. And um, um, I got to go in the logic that it, it's a hard thing to fake. So um, I spend most of my time yeah, trying, trying to make sure that what I'm doing each morning is something that I'm really passionate about. And if people want to read it, that's awesome. And if they don't, then I had a good time making it. So I won't stress about it too, too much. But yeah, zero plan, uh, I would say. <laughs> Right on. Well, now we have to ask the one who has the 59 book person, uh, Miles, uh, do you have a plan now? Did you have a plan when you started? How many times has it changed? So first with uh, due humility, it's only 49. 59, oh, sorry. Sorry. 59 is a ways down the road. Um, <laughs> so yeah, no, I never really had a plan. Uh, I, anyway, it's a very long story, which I will bow out of, but just say, uh, I think I was, 10 books into a career before I decided that writing was the thing I was actually doing. Um, I had a whole pre-career writing thrillers and thrillers paid amazingly well. And so I didn't really think career. I thought things like I can buy a house now and other um, kind of referring to what Richard is saying. Like you look at the check and go, oh, I'm an adult now. Uh, and my, my prior career had been uh, being an officer in the U.S. Navy, which I promise you is one of the worst paid um, long-term employment prospects you can imagine. And so it, it was very exciting to get all that money, and I never really thought about it. And so the weird thing I want to say is, in the long run, I believe social media has driven me to think carefully and plan my career. And that may sound either radical or banal, but I'm going to explain it and say, I realized at one point that if you're a mid-list author, and I'm a, I'm a modestly successful mid-list author, you are going to live and die on advertising. And that is happening while the entire advertising industry, as it existed for 70 years, is dying. So now, instead of having all the methods by which publishers and bookstores promoted books, we have social media. And we have very little outside of social media. And social media, and I'll use the example of TikTok because it's the most extreme, requires absolute consistency in the provision of your product, or they will alg the algorithm will knock you down. And everybody know what I'm talking about here? And Instagram yeah. is not quite so bad, and Twitter is in some ways that used to be the easiest. God only knows that we don't know Twitter. Um, so it was the realization that advertise that I was sort of on my own for advertising and that advertising needed to be handled in a different way. And I'm so old that I can remember when um, you actually received promotion from your publisher in a major way. And, you know, books appeared in various TV shows and bookstores had special displays, all of which can happen now, but is considerably less likely anyway. Um, so that was part of it. And then I had a sort of uh, social media success called Writing Fighting, where I demonstrate how oh, actual yeah, fighting that. happens. And that reminded me how the creation of content is not necessarily all about my book or your book or somebody's book. Um, it's sort of about the provision of a useful piece of content that people like 
And oh, by the way, I also write books or oh, oh by the way, I also play the violin as a friend of mine mm -hmm. likes to say. Um, so that was a thing. And then the other thing in my quote unquote career was I realized at one point that I was writing four books a year and that was a lot of work and that I really wanted to write two books a year um, and that that would be really fun. And then I actually, for the first time, had to sit down with my agent and shape what it would look like to only write two books a year. And in the course of shaping that, I think I've got a career, but I totally want to agree with what Richard says. So I'm in year 25 of being a full-time writer, and I've had to read, I'm on my third reinvention. And I currently write sci-fi, fantasy, historical fiction. And I might, and I have written thrillers, and I might go off and write other things because I'm a writer. The publishing industry may want to pigeonhole us as being fantasy writers or speculative fiction writers or mystery writers or romance writers, but we are writers and we can probably write whatever we have a passion for. I'm sort of referring to the first, the first round. And it is important if you want to make your living as a writer to remember that as long as you can generate the passion to write the book, you can write anything you want. Mm. Um, and uh, I, I completely agree with Richard. I think that I will probably have to reinvent myself one more time to make it through to, no, I, I would like to keep writing till I'm 75. I'd like to keep writing because I just like all of you, I still have a hundred books I'd like to write. Um, I come, I come up with a book idea about every four days. Um, I'm very inspired by history. I read something and go, Oh my God, there was a Mongol queen whose family was murdered and she had to avenge them? Why hasn't someone written this book? <laughs> this sort of thing happens to me constantly. And so I am, um, yeah, I, ha I have a lot of books I'd like, I'd still like to do. So I'll close this off by saying, um, despite having worked through all that, as far as I can see, I'm going to write four books a year for the next three years um, because I ruined that. So that was the plotting part, right? I have plotted my career. But the pantsing part is, then I go like, but wait, I have a great idea for another book, and I really want to write it. <laughs> um, and then all of a sudden, I'm back on the same wheel as before. That's why, I said, hands. that's why I said both, Dan, when you asked the very first question, I said both, because in every <laughs> walk of life, I, I'm both. Yeah, I mean, well, with, with 79 books out, my gosh, uh, we have a lot to learn from you. <laughs> It's a hundred. It's a hundred and nine, Dan. Hundred and nine. <laughs> That's what I remember. Did you know Miles Cameron's read a thousand and nine books? <laughs> That's extraordinary. Just this apocryphal story just permeating through the publishing industry. Miles Cameron's written over a million books. Did you know? I said, how many books do you need to have written a week to make that number happen? <laughs> Doesn't matter. He did it. Well, he found a way. Yeah. But, the, but the point is, Richard, going to what Brian said about whether people like his books or not, if I could write a million books, people would only have to, I'd only have to sell one copy of each that's, that's it. Thing. Yeah, it's a numbers game. It's a numbers game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Sort out. See what I guess that's, Yeah, that's working hard, not smart. But at the same time, <laughs> the numbers hey. don't lie. So quantity yeah. has a quality all of its own. Well, <laughs> million copy bestseller. Exactly. <laughs> you make it one series, then you can you can package it that way. So the MC, the MCU, Miles Cameron universe. There you go.
Thanks, Richard. I, I will be borrowing that immediately. That's all right. That was way better than you all gave it credit for. I expected a big laugh then. You know, I'll be yeah, honest with you, the, the genius of that kind of took a minute to sink in for me. Okay, like, sure. That's that fucking yeah, clever, yeah. right? <laughs> Stop it. That's the response I, will, I wanted. I, I will take this moment to say how much I love the MCU, actually. I just love the quality of detail, detailed writing and the way the plots interleave. And I look at that and go, like, that is so admirable. Yeah, do you is think the they camera that, or do you think they wrote, yeah. like, a rough outline for how that was all going to fit together? I, I don't know. I think they made it up as they went along. <laughs> yeah, Brian, Brian, I think that somebody yeah, really sits there good. watching the movie for the 28th time and goes, right there. We can fit a plot in right there. <laughs> That's a movie. That's a movie right there. We got yeah. it. <laughs> and Morbius was made. Yeah. Well, that was an MC. Wait, that's Sony, right? So it's like the whole. Oh, well, you know what? I actually don't know. I'm a bit of a fair weather um, MCU fan as well. Just like my in intricate knowledge of the yeah, Star Wars. We haven't movie. talked about Star Wars nearly as much as I thought we would, given your. Yeah, you know, I know. I know. Enthusiasm. Sorry. Um, I know. Well, Jenny, I think it's your turn. I, I keep. Indeed, I was going to say. Speaking of the MCU, uh, what do we? What do you have planned next in the JSDU? Um. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I'm kind of with Chelsea in that I feel like I have a direction, um, but I actually feel like I have very little control over my career. Um, like, we're kind of at the whim of, like, how well will our sequels publish and will they even want to add another book? You know, I have this plan in my head of it, but I always try to end each book with a good conclusion, no cliffhangers, like feeling like, you know, it could continue, but that it's wrapped up so that if there isn't another one, you know, I'm not, people aren't mad at me. <laughs> um, so it's always <laughs> just kind of like, you know, I got the contract I got now, but I have no idea what's gonna come next. And I'm also in a weird position where like, so I was like my goal prior to my books coming out was like, oh, I want to write full time. Obviously everyone wants to write full time. It's great. So after they came out, you know, they sold pretty well, things were going well, and I was able to actually go part-time, mostly because my husband is amazing and had a good job and et cetera. Um, so I was able to go part-time, and I went part-time for a few months, and then my dream job dropped into my lap, and I was like, yep, I'm taking that. So now I'm <laughs> back to full-time, you know, I'm writing for video games, so I can't complain. It's amazing. It's, yeah. I, it's the best job ever. Um, but I also have this novel career that I'm trying to deal with, and luckily, you know, my company's great and they are very like they realize i'm doing that on the side and that you know it's kind of part of the deal as far as like my you know pto if i'm taking time to like write the books or whatever like that's all fine but it's just you know and back to the thing of like oh i have two jobs now <laughs> kind of a thing so like i'm i would like to you know be like oh yeah okay a book a year with a traditional publisher is probably going to be what's reasonable for me if i intend to keep this job which i do because again i love it so I kind of am like just still in the middle of like refocusing that and trying to figure out like, okay, how, what does that look like? You know, will there be another, like a sequel to Rubicon or, you know, I've got the third book in my series going, will there, there's a fourth I have in mind and I'm going to write it and give it to, you know, I'll put it on my Patreon if Tor doesn't want it, but you know, it's like a thing <laughs> where I don't know if they're going to want it. And, you know, they have some secret algorithm going on in the background where they're like looking at your pre-orders and all kinds of numbers that we don't see. And, you know, I just don't feel like I have any control over most of it. <laughs> um, but I have a lot of ideas, you know, most of my ideas start with a playlist and a Pinterest board. And then I just kind of like add to the Pinterest board and the playlist. <laughs> 
and I'll like <laughs> drop a few like random notes in a Scrivener document, you know, for things, but I don't really like dive fully into it, be- but I have like a document of pitches basically. So like it, yeah. I think there's like six maybe or seven on there and they're just like three sentences and then like the comps that I would comp them to and like some keywords kind of a thing. And I just send that to my agent slash editor and they kind of pick one and you know, that's how they picked up Rubicon. It was like at the top of the list cause it was already written. And I just wrote three sentences and they were like, we're buying it. I was like, you don't want to like, it's written. You want to read it first. They didn't care. So they just got <laughs> that one. So that was fun. <laughs> that's kind of why I want to get ahead too. So I can feel like pretty confident as far as like, okay, I know what my author brand is and what I want to do with it. Like I feel very confident in what that is shaping out to be and i am very passionate about it you know it's not headed in a direction that i don't feel comfortable with like it's it all just works pretty well for me so i think that part of it is good and if i can just keep generating ideas in that way and then i can feel like okay at least i have this to pick from and which they pick i don't know and then i'll just (laughs) go on from there so yeah it's kind of a mess for me right now but it's you know I'm figuring it out. I'm actually, ironically, like I'm a pantser, but I'm actually a big calendar planner person. So like, I do want to have that stuff like kind of worked out. And I like to like plan how much I'm going to write and like look at that kind of stuff. But it's just right now, it's like I'm trying to figure out how that balances with the new day job, day job kind of thing. I say new, but it's been like eight months at this point. <laughs> one thing I find, especially when I, when I, one of the things I did the other day was I was like, I've I've got... I, actually, I I do write full time, but um, but uh, we we couldn't live off my writing, even though it was you know it was a lovely advance, it, it was minimum wage still, even though it was sort of three years. So my wife pays all of our bills basically, and then my money just goes on our mortgage. Um, but I sit here and I, I think right, I've got a finite amount of time every day to to write in, and I've got all these things I want to write. So the other day I just said right, I'm gonna I, whatever I do this you know yeah I'm gonna have to write one long fantasy novel and I want to write one long sci-fi novel um you know where does that leave me creatively I've probably got a couple of short stories and maybe a you know short novel in me as well because I've just written one written a short short story and a novel um and another that contemporary novel I alluded to a little bit while because my editor is taking so long to come back to me on on my book three so I've had about sort of three or four months to write a couple of things but I thought if I don't just pin down now what projects I'm going to focus on I, I, I don't get anything done because I just pinball between like eight or nine ideas and I've got like one sort of trunk novel, sci-fi novel that I love, but I know needs a little bit of work and I keep thinking I'm going to get, so I have to just focus on uh, how am I going to spend my creative energy this year? Um, it's because if I don't do that, it's, it's a prison of, of options and <laughs> I'll, I'll start new things or I'll keep like fiddling away on some other kind of older project and things and nothing will end up being done. So I kind of have to just decide now. Right, That's kind of what happened to me with my like outline that I'm currently working on with my book is like because I had outlined it, I could write whatever chapter I wanted. So I was just like going to the end and writing stuff and going to the middle and writing stuff. And oh. it was <laughs> awful and not productive. <laughs> like, but if I'm it's dancing, I usually just like write from the beginning to the end. So it's like that's another reason yeah. I want to pants is because then I, I can't I can go to the end because I usually kind of know where it's headed, but I probably won't. You know, I'll, I'll go in order if I'm pantsing. But if I have outlined it, I can write whatever I want. And that's not, I do not recommend. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, I would well, almost say in a sort of meta way, and I, I'm referencing what Jen said a little earlier about, about whether you ha- feel like you have any control over your career. I don't think I had any control over my career until about three years ago. And that enhances my desire to be a pantser about my career. Because it's like, well, since 
you know, random faceless people can decide whether my sales figures are good enough and decide whether my career continues or not. There's really not much point of planning mm. in, in any detail. Um, yeah. And, and I, I haven't heard any of you convince me otherwise that a careful <laughs> plan is going to get us anywhere. <laughs> yeah, if you feel like you just got control, I mean, that, that, that tracks. I remember when my, my first book was coming out, like a thing I heard from a lot of authors was you get used to having very little control over your, over your station and your future. Um, but, but that's fine. <laughs> Ryan, I've enjoyed watching you uh, transform from a living, okay, breathing man so weird. Like a body storm head is coming the, in. The I went all natural hour. light, and it, it really bit me in the ass. I'm like a Darth Vader <laughs> yeah. type of situation over here. Yeah, just a kind of discorporate neck it's and head like, floating in the I thought, because it's snowy here in Colorado, I thought the like, snow would reflect off the roof and keep it going, but now it's gone to the dark side. Get a lamp. Um, <laughs> I have one, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's a little bit... Yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, well, we got uh, just about 10 minutes left, uh, and I want to ask for each of you to give us a quick, pithy, but highly specific piece of uh, advice or suggestion for a new or relatively new writer. Don't just say, you know, uh, find whatever works for you, but something super specific that worked for you, that helped you make it advance, either something you discovered on your own or something that somebody told you. And I'll let you all jump in. Uh, as the ideas come to you. Critique can't partners. be pithy on the spot. <laughs> I would say critique partners is the one main thing that like helped me so much. I kind of started writing my book and I, I came straight from fan fiction into writing. So like I wanted that immediate feedback of like what's going on mm -hmm. with the thing. So I, you know, found a website, it's called scribophile.com. I, I do highly recommend it, you know hit or miss for like the people you meet but i found all of my current critique partners and beta readers we've moved off the site since then and you know our, as our careers continue um but i've met you know some of them are my best friends now so like i would highly recommend that just find your people and get that feedback and you know novel writing this is kind of something i've been thinking about as i start writing for video games because it's so collaborative and there's so many people involved and there's it's a lot more like when i was making films where you're like you know working with a lot of people but novel writing can be really solitary <laughs> so you're just kind of, and i'm the most introverted person on the planet so it's not like i like need to go like talk to people but like you know you just sit in a room and you don't know what you're doing so it's nice to go find people and get that feedback and again find the right people because there are some people that are not gonna give good feedback and for you specifically, or they just don't have good intentions to start with because people are people. But <laughs> um, if you can find a good group of people to exchange things with, it's it's. I highly recommend going that route. I I also want to second that piece of advice. That was really really kind of life changing for me as a writer. Um, beta readers, critique partners, and for me, an alpha reader. Sorry, an alpha reader. Um, so when I um, when I for for a long for the longest time i was just jumping between manuscripts i was just just drafting because evidently you know i i like to write because i love the discovery of it but then i wasn't really thinking about um i wasn't really thinking about publishing in the early stages i just kind of wrote for myself because i was having a good time and you know i like to write um then i got an alpha reader during um nanorimo i think it was 2017 or something like that um and during NaNoWriMo the two of us just traded off chapters and we did not we didn't critique anything we didn't criticize there was none of that happening it was we were basically just cheerleading each other um so we would switch off chapters 
you know, I would comment on her chapter, she would comment on mine, and we would be reading at the same time and just kind of engaging in that way really helped me. Um, that was the first time I finished a book. I finished a book because I had a reader, someone who was invested and excited about my work. Um, so that helped me get to the end. And then, you know, she continuously was there for me through all of my drafts. I, you know, thank her in the acknowledgments of the Stardust Thief, too, because I would not have finished that book without her. Um, you know, <laughs> it's not every day you find someone who will read 300,000 words <laughs> for your first draft. Um, so, you know, finding that kind of person can be a little difficult. Um, but I think finding, you know, just reaching out to different beta readers, reaching out um, to different people and trying to get that early feedback. Um, and then this sort of goes along with the idea of, you know, what I had my alpha reader do, um, specifying the kind of feedback that you want, I think is very helpful too. Um, so I did for the Stardust Thief, I did multiple rounds of beta readers. Um, initially I would say I'm only looking for developmental edits right now. So like, these are the things that I'm looking for as a writer, um, because the story was still, you know, I was still formulating it. It still, you know, I was still trying to figure out the bare bones. Um, so giving that feedback to readers and, you know, not, you know, not all the readers, um, everyone has a different critique style. So I think some people will always kind of lean toward giving certain feedback and you have to decide like, you know, is this, you know, do we fit, do we work as critique partners? And that's something you kind of figure out as you go along. Um, but if you give them that baseline of, you know, here's what I'm looking for, um, here's what I want to do, then I think that will help you being like as specific as you possibly can. Um, or as general as you want to be. I know some writers work better by just saying, you know, lay it all on me, <laughs> give me whatever you've got. Um, because then sometimes that helps them formulate ideas too. Um, so I would say try both of those things, specificity, um, or being broad, trying to reach out to as many people as you possibly can. Um, I, you know, I think we talked about this earlier, but it's, it's kind of impossible for us to be completely objective about our work. Um, you know, taking time away from it definitely helps. Um, but having an outsider's perspective, I think, is invaluable. So, yeah. Anybody else got some pithy tips to share? Actually, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Brian. Oh, yeah, mine's great. I mean, you mentioned um, fan fiction, Jenny, and I think that that actually did help me quite a bit. So I wrote, you know, the first 30,000 words of, of Blood of an Exile and got stuck. <laughs> And then wrote another thirty thousand words of it, the same like beginning over and again, and got stuck again. And and fan fiction actually helped me with it. So I started writing Skyrim fan fiction, and I think the value of it in fantasy or sci-fi, when you have a complicated world, is that you don't have to do any of that thinking for yourself. So you can really focus on characters and situations because the world building is kind of done for you. It's sort of a hot button issue. So like, I guess like check with the IPs if they're cool with fan fiction. If you want to do anything with it other than keep it to yourself, but that wound up i think some people see it as a crutch i saw it as actually a very good tool to like getting over world building magic humps that i just couldn't get through on my own and and getting used to kind of pushing forward through that because the plot was so much easier to find for me um in that setting and then i i did that for a little while and then i went back and i found a lot of the like like tools you develop doing that then carry over to your world a lot easier once you've kind of done it once before it's like Hemingway has that like can't believe I just said that in a in a panel but he had this thing where he would just copy other people's books like he just like transcribed them basically and so I feel like that sounds really boring but um fan fiction on on um can can do that kind of thing unless you use 
I don't know, muscles that you haven't really developed yet in, in a cool way. So I, I found it to be really useful. Yeah, I agree for sure. Okay, here's my here's my one minute. Uh, set yourself a goal every day and every week. Stay to the goal and don't let yourself off. It's a job. And then my very detailed uh, thing is every day, and I have seen this help others, read yesterday's work and edit it. Because it launches you into today's work fairly painlessly, like if you don't feel like writing. Um, and it also means that your work is continuous and the flow is good. Just very quickly, my the only piece of advice I would give, um, and it seems to be a pretty fair weather piece of advice, is um, is just write a lot. Uh, write as much as you can all the time. Don't That's it. worry about wasting yeah. your, your best ideas. Just just keep writing, writing, writing um, constantly. Yeah, you can drop the mic now. You got it. <laughs> um, that was um, so. We we have just a couple minutes left, and the one uh, audience question that we had already got answered is by several people in terms of beta. Uh, but I think it's important that each of you tell us about one book that you have out that people should know about, and you have, let's say, thirty seconds to convince them why they might want to read it. And we're going to start with Miles, since you know he's been in the business for a while. He could surely handle an elevator pitch. I think Artifact Space is the best book I've ever written. Uh, and now that I have a contract for three more, if you haven't read it, you probably should. Uh, it's it's space opera. It's really good, somewhat old-fashioned space opera. And uh, it's it's Venice in space. What more do you want? I'm in. <laughs> well done. Uh, Brian? Um, let's see. Well, I have three books out. It's the Dragons of Terror trilogy. Um... I mean, you should read all of them, but the uh, Fury of a Demon, in terms of talking about plotting and pantsing, that was kind of the, that was the third book in the trilogy. And it's where I found my balance of like, you know, mixing feedback and a plot that I threw out 14 times, but also felt really good about the way it turned out. So I, I really like the, the third book in the trilogy. Right on, Chelsea. So I only have one book out right now. <laughs> uh, it's called The Stardust Thief. Uh, it is an epic fantasy, uh, the story of a merchant, a prince, a djinn, and a thief who go on an adventure through the desert to find a mythical lamb. Um, the second book, The Ashfire King, doesn't have a cemented date yet. Um, hopefully that will come later in the year with, you know, the pre-order links. Um, but, you know, hopefully people will look forward to it. Right on. And Richard? Uh, like Chelsea, I've only got one book out. It's called The Justice of Kings. It's basically Sherlock Holmes with a bit of magic in it, written from the perspective of a gender-bent Watson. All right. And finally, Jen? So, yeah, my debut is The Last Watch. It is um, a knight's, or the Night's Watch from Game of Thrones meets Battlestar Galactica at the edge of the universe. It is space That's opera. Great. It is <laughs> action. It is fun. It is character-driven, but there's still a lot of explosions and shooting and things like that. So. <laughs> Sounds fantastic. Well, thank you all for uh, sharing your thoughts on the age-old question. I feel like uh, I heard a lot of stuff I definitely hadn't heard before, and I hope that our listeners who are live and also listeners who listen to this a month from now and 10 years from now and a thousand years from now, learn something about the writing process. Uh, if anyone wants to know more, uh, I'm sure you can find out about it either in the show notes or on uh, Twitter or your social media of choice. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. And I hope you all have some good reading and writing sessions ahead. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Dan. Thank you very much. Pleasure. That was great. Thanks.